yesterday, but we can work on tomorrow by making small changes today. Welcome to season two, episode 14 of our podcast series. The podcast that inspires and educates through the sharing of real life experiences. With me today is Pastor George Hodges. Pastor George is a senior pastor at the Wonderful Change Ministries. Today, he'll be sharing with us personal stories of triumph, of how he was sexually molested by his uncle at a tender age and life afterwards. Hello, Pastor George, and welcome to Podcast with Sheila. Hello, Sheila. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It is awesome. That is awesome. Glad to be here on today. I'm happy to have you. Really, the story we are telling today is something somebody has sent to me over the week and has asked, Sheila, can you do a podcast on this? And I feel that is very much needed. When I read the script you sent to me, I was so touched and I'm excited about this recording. And I believe that people will be blessed and will be able to get liberation at the end of the session. That is great. Hopefully so. Yeah. That is the aim. Sure. Yes, ma'am. So what would your favorite quote be? Um, my favorite quote will actually be pretty much what you read in the beginning. says, we can't change yesterday, uh, but we can uh, work on tomorrow by making small changes today. You know, I think about that because as you know, everybody, we have past and things that some things that we're not proud of, but we can't change yesterday, you know, but we still have a future as well. We have a destiny that's been designed for us and we cannot allow our past to prevent us from stepping into our destiny. Great. Great. Let's move on straight into the story. So at what age were you sexually molested and how did it happen? I was quite young. I think I was around four years old when I got molested. Um, I was living in, in an area, well, my parents was transitioning from Chicago, moving down to Mississippi. We was in the process of transitioning and moving and we was living with my we had moved in with my grandmother okay. while we were moving. And uh, one afternoon, it, it started, it was like a two, two-time two event, event. And so it was a bunch of children in the house playing. I don't remember where the adults were at. And um, my uncle was playing cards. And me, I was a kid and I like to learn things, you know, I always like okay. to learn. And so uh, I knew how to play cards, but I didn't know how to shuffle the deck. Okay. And so... Um, I had went to my uncle and asked him, man, could you teach me how to shuffle the cards? And he told me no in the beginning, no. And I kept being persistent, man, come on, you know, like kind of begging him to teach me how to play cards. And I guess somewhere in his, in the mind of being devious, he concocted a plan and said, well, yeah, I'll teach you how to play cards, but you got to do something for me. And so, uh, what he, he, he told me is that if you, I'll teach you how to shuffle the cards if you, if I provide to him. And being four years old, I don't know no better. So yeah. I consent, sure, you know, and uh, he tried it right then and there. Um, but someone, my, my older brother intervened and he came basically to my rescue wow. and uh, he, him and my uncle got in, they had a little, they got into it. I'm, like I said, I don't understand what's going on still. Yeah. I'm still kind of lost on what it was. And so um, being young as I was, I don't know the exact time frame. 
So I just remember bits and pieces, but I remember not long later, one night when I was asleep, um, he crept into the bedroom where I was sleeping and woke me up. And when he woke me up, he wanted to get paid. And so when he came back, he wanted to go forward. He violated me. And then it was so crazy because even in the, even in the violation of it, he uh, asked me to, he took, then he asked me to turn around and do the same thing to him. So, you know, and I did. Still you, were four, not, you were still four at that, at that time. I'm four, four years old. I'm four oh. years old. I'm still, I'm four years old. And so this is what occurred. And um, it still didn't uh, make sense to me or I still didn't realize what had happened. Yeah. It took some time to go by. And so what happened was we was up in there. And so someone started moving around downstairs and he was like, basically like, be quiet you know, be quiet and like play sleep. And then um, he left me alone. So we kind of played sleep, eventually went to sleep. But after it occurred, I was kind of, I was, didn't know what happened, but all I know I was in pain. I was in pain, like literally, like, you know, in, in, in my behind, you know, yeah. I was in pain. And, 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 I was a, and I was afraid. You know, in fear of, of sharing it with my mother, sharing it with my father of what had happened. And as I began to get a little older, so we eventually moved from there and moved to Mississippi. And um, I, like I say, still not knowing, but I know something didn't happen right because yeah. a year had went past and I still was having problems with my rear end. And for years oh. I had problems. Yes, for years I had problems and um, I was still in fear of sharing it with my mother and my father, even my brother. I never even told my older brother. And so I messed around and now I'm starting to get a little older, start getting, uh, watching TV, watching movies and hearing older cousins and siblings, them talking. Now it starts to come to me what had occurred, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I lived in, I was always, I was kind of afraid of my uncle, you know, because he used to do a lot of things that was real, you know, made yeah, me fear shady, him beforehand. Yeah. And so I was afraid, you know, and I was, I was so afraid. And so, um, like I said, we moved away. So I never really got to be around him any longer. So it was like the event occurred and then we moved out of town to a whole different state. Okay. And, 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 and that was kind of the gist of it, you know, it was like, that was the only time I really remember of it happening, but um, then I start dealing with the question: Am I am I homosexual? So now I don't know if this was you know I'm still a kid. I think this this yeah. this question came to my mind. I'm about eight years old, and I okay. you know an eight year old has no business even trying to figure out: Are you any type of sexual, yeah. heterosexual, homosexual, yeah. or anything? But at eight years old. I'm trying to rationalize with myself, am I homosexual? You know, what does this mean? And that, what, that how that came about, I heard my older brother and them talking, older cousin them talking, and they were saying that um, homosexuals prey on people who they know are potential homosexuals. And I said, well, whoa, you know, does, does, does that mean I'm a homosexual? So for years, I wouldn't say anything because I'm a fear for one, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a male, I'm a boy, you know, 
Yeah. You know, and boys, we're taught to be tough and and, yeah. and and don't cry and do all these different things there. And so I held all these feelings in and shame and guilt and, and, and just all type of negative thoughts I wrestled with for years. And then uh, as a way of coping, I began to self-medicate. I began self-medicating. And by the age of nine years old, I was I had became drinking alcohol, you know, um, like literally like on a regular basis, I had access, I had a neighbor that lived close to us that was an adult who would allow me to drink with him. And he was actually getting to the store, he would actually allow me to give him the money and he would go to the store and purchase, you know, the alcohol beverages for me to drink. But this was a coping mechanism. But I started acting out in school, you know, I started acting out in different ways. It was like I was looking for help, afraid to ask for it. Because I didn't want the the I, I I was afraid to tell someone that I had been violated by another male, and who was my uncle, and what the people are gonna say. What are people yeah. gonna think about you? You know, yeah. it, it was just like all these different things that 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 I wrestled with. Yeah. And for years, I remained quiet. For years, I walked around in shame, and then not only did that. I became um, a few years later, even a child. I still was a child. I became sexually promiscuous because I was like, okay, I got to prove to myself that I'm not gay. Yeah. So now I'm, or you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm out looking for sexual encounters with little girls. You know, I'm having conversations that a child shouldn't have. I'm making advancements on other little girls, you know, at, at a child. I'm talking about third grade, fourth grade, which kids should be out somewhere playing and having mm -hmm. fun and playing video games and riding bikes and things of that nature there, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And really, it kind of robbed me of my childhood, you know. And, and that, that, that play that had a big, a great bearing upon my entire upbringing. And like I said, um, like I wrote to you, it was over 30 years. Yeah. I stayed quiet for over 30 years walking around still in bondage to something that happened at the age of four years old. Being, like I said, the fear, the guilt, the shame. It was just so much tied into that. How I'm going to speak this here. And then as I got older, it even became even tougher to talk about it because now I'm a man, yeah. I'm a man, you know, and how am I gonna tell somebody else that me, a man, been violated sexually by another man, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it just was a struggle. And, and like I said, it went from alcohol to uh, 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 drinking a lot. I was drinking regularly, getting drunk. It started off drinking like here and there every other day, drinking on the weekends. Then I started drinking almost every day. Uh, went from drinking. Uh, then I started smoking marijuana, you know, uh, about, I was about 14. And then, like I said, I had a lot of different things going on. That, okay. that was the biggest piece right there. That was the biggest piece was the, was, was, was that the, the, the sexual molestation thing, because I promise you, um, and even now, I'm going to be honest, you know, even now when I think about it, and what really made me think about it is because I have a child, 
you know, my son, he's, I have a son, that's, he's six. And I was sitting back looking at him, you know, a couple of years ago when I finally was able to talk about this. And I'm sitting back looking at my son, it kind of brought me to tears because I'm thinking like how innocent he is right now. Yeah. How he just, how so innocent he is. And I think about how I was at his age and with somebody who I entrusted, someone who I loved, someone who I looked at for protection to be an individual to, to rob me. So then it, 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 I had trust issues and I still struggle with trust issues. You know, I never really trust people because I feel like I felt like people were always coming at an angle and people always had a hidden motive, a hidden agenda. Um, I'm very overprotective when it comes to my children being around people because in my mind, you know, uh, I got to protect them from yeah. this ever occurring to them. So exactly. now I'm probably overly protective because everybody is not thinking that way, but this stuff does happen a lot. And when, when, when you see it occur, it normally occurs with people who are entrusted with either family members or close friends. It happens because see, Parents teach us, told us when I grew up, they said, listen, watch out for strangers. Watch out for strangers. And they gave you all of this. Don't you talk to strangers. You be careful. And they told us all about strangers, but they never told us about those strange family members. Yeah. They never told us about strange uncles and cousins and granddaddies yeah. and different ones. They never, yeah. they never spoke on that. They put a lot of emphasis on watch out for strangers. Stranger danger. But the truth of the matter is, it's the people who you allow to get close to you that has the greatest ability of hurting you because they know uh, stuff about you and they've got access to you. They've been granted access that other people haven't, don't have access to. And so, um, and now, and, and I'm gonna say this here, when I spoke up to my mother, I think two years ago, I, I was able to tell my mother, but even even been quite two years, I told her, and um, that was like a weight off my shoulders oh. because it was her little brother. It was my mom's baby brother that done it. And I didn't know, I don't know how this was gonna go, you know? And so finally I told her and, and, and she, she was receptive as a mother should and she was coming on and she went and she was mad and, and she was, you know, as a mom, she just had a lot of feelings she was dealing with as well. And so, um, we, I actually, she called him because she called him irate. She was upset. She called him and, you know, because we still don't stay in the same state. So she called him and she was like going in on him. You know, she was upset. And so I ended up speaking with him and um, he went and denied it. You know, he went and denied it. It never occurred. Uh, you know, I don't remember that. I was, you, I didn't, you know, he came up with excuses of what it was. And then I even had an aunt. Uh, his other sister that was, we grew up, she was like, we was real close. And then she said like, oh, you lying. How, you gonna tell me you ain't never told nobody this here? You didn't tell your wife this? You didn't tell nobody? I said, I was in shame. No, I didn't go tell nobody. I walked around. And, and so her and I really haven't even had a, uh, really that broke our relationship up. Because I said, I don't have nothing. I, why, what, what do I have to gain by making up a fictitious story? Exactly. 30 something years, over 30 years later, over 30 years. Yeah. You know, what, yeah. what, close to 40 years. Yeah. What do I look like 
making a, 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 oh. just a fictitious story. And, and she didn't want to, she didn't understand it. She didn't want to understand it. And, and I said, you know what? Now I realize, because I've ran into people who, who've been violated over the years. And I, and, I, and I realize it's a common thing that why a lot of people do remain quiet and a lot of people don't speak up is because a lot of people don't believe them. Yeah. And it, and it does something to you as a person that I didn't finally gain the courage to be able to even express to you what had happened because we'll try to we'll try to uh hide it and, and push it down and bury it. But finally we don't got the courage to speak up. And and and, and if, if other people, it's like certain people you don't care if they don't believe you, but certain people you want to know that I'm in your corner. And when you find out those certain people, yeah, like like you, you know, it, it's a hurtful thing. And so it's just like a hurtful thing. And, 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 and my heart just goes out. And even to this day, you know what? Even though he denied it, you know what? Like I told her, I told him, listen, I gave it over to the Lord. Exactly. You have to, you got to deal with that yourself. Exactly. I just got it out of me because so, so, no, I cannot allow it to affect me negatively anymore. So Whatever you do from this point forward, that's on you. Well, if you want to try to lock me up and if you want to go send me to jail, I go to jail. I say, listen, I, I'm listen, I don't care about sending you to jail. I don't care about going to the police and press charges. I had to get this out of my system because too many people are being quiet. It's okay. Why this stuff is it's it's an epidemic. Yeah. And it's growing and it's happening more often than what we could believe. Exactly. I, I did a I did a, a, a broadcast with a lady before. Studies say that one of every one out of every three Household. females, I think no, one out of three females have been sexually molested, and one out one out of five males have been. So it's a large amount of them. But as a man. A lot of times from a male's perspective, a male, I think, is harder to come forward because the masculinity, yeah. the, 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 the image a man has that he has to portray, that he, he would rather die and take you to the grave instead of speaking about it because it feels like it takes away from his manhood. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I thought the same thing for years. But I feel so much better now that I've got it out of my system. I've gotten it out and I'm able to speak it. It's such a freedom to not be in bondage to that any longer. And like I said, four years old. And here I go over 40 years old. And we got about, you know, about 40 years later. Yeah. I'm still mentally, I mean, I still deal with it still mentally. It's not like I, I just woke up one day and it just went away. You know, it's just, yeah. it's still, I still have things there. You know, I'm not in bondage to it anymore, but it's still like, wow, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and so my motive now is, like I said, it's never to tear the other person down, but it's to tell the truth. Okay. And, and, and my goal is to get, speak up about it, that other individuals, other males, young male, grown men, older men, even female, whomsoever it is, that if you've been violated, that you will speak up about it and exactly. understand that you didn't cause what happened to you to happen. You didn't happen. 
you know, you you wasn't responsible. You was, and, and you have to understand. You have to. It took me. What I had to get to the point is, I'm no longer a victim. Wow. I'm no longer a victim. I am a victor. Yeah. And that's the way I had to look at it. And when I view right. it, it started, and that's how I view it now. I'm no longer a victim. Victim. You're a victim. I'm a victor. And you got to change your mindset on it. And so that's the my goal and purpose is to try to speak out to help people, you know, to speak up. Great. You know, when I read your story and then I watched the little skits the lady sent to me and I did a little bit of research as well, I gathered that about 93% of victims who are violated or abused are your relatives or very people who are very close to you. Mm-hmm. And then most of the time, they are not able to say or tell anybody, just like you're saying, because of victimization and other things like that. They don't want people to say negative things about them. Just like when you're being raped. I remember some time back, I was having a conversation with my husband and he asked me, because we were watching the news and it came up that somebody was raped and the person had kept quiet about it until years later, she's talking about it now. So he asked me, I don't want this to happen to you, but what if you find yourself in this situation? Will you tell anybody? And I said, no. And he was angry. He said, why wouldn't you? Because you have to tell somebody so that the person will be, will, will be sought after and then will not have to do it to the next person. The moment yes. you gather courage to talk about it, you saved another person from yes. being harmed. But when you yes. keep quiet, but I understand because sometimes when you find yourself in that situation, to even gather yourself to be able to speak out is an issue. You get it, is an issue. Yes. So... It's great from what you're saying that you had to see yourself as the victor and no more the victim. Exactly. Exactly. How can somebody going through that be able to see themselves as the victor and not the victim? You get what would it take? Because I'm I I'm just putting myself in in the place of somebody who is in the situation now as we speak, and is mm-hmm. wanting to come out. Has been in this for years. And is wanting to come out, but is looking for the first step to actually break free from all of these. What exactly can the person do to be able to set themselves free from this? For one, like I say, it first and first and foremost, I'm gonna say this here: it is extremely hard. It is not easy. It's hard. Me personally, um, my faith helped me out. You know, my spiritual side of me helped me to push me because what it was I, I still felt worthless you know I felt like I really didn't matter I felt like my life didn't have any value I felt like I was invaluable at all when I when I started looking at myself through the spiritual aspect of getting into the word of, of God what I stand up to believe on it start it started I started getting uh looking at how God looked at me how he looks at me and how he sees me. So my ability to see myself was only through to see myself through his eyes. Oh, great. And when I saw myself through his eyes, I understood better. And it helped me to get to the point of saying, okay, you know, um, you, you gotta do this, you know, because you, you, you're hurting, you know, you, you, you're hurting, you're hurting yourself. You know, you're hurting yourself. And it, like I said, it's not easy. And if you could find somebody to confide in, it's good. I mean, technically, I think um, before I even told my mom, I, I shared it with my wife. 
I did share with my wife. And uh, I think I, I got a, I, I got a frog in my throat trying to get it out, even talking to her. You know, it was just hard because even though she's my wife, it's like, I don't know how she would, how you going to think about me? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? What yeah. would you think about me? Yeah. As your husband, as the man, what would you think about me? So it was hard, but being able to share with her and her being receptive to what I had to give her and not look at me differently, it helped me. And then, um, and then, like I said, and then by the time I sh shared it with my mother and it was like, okay, and it was the support. So when you're able to share it with someone and able to get the support, because you need the support. You need the support to let you know because you're gonna still battle with mental thoughts. Yeah. If you thinking maybe I could have, maybe did I, did I, did I provoke them or did I do this or do this or do this and do this? And it's like, no, you did not. But it's it's just good to have the support. So my my suggestion to them is that, you know, you gotta realize if I don't do it, it's gonna hurt me more. If I don't say anything, it's gonna hurt me more than if I say something. Because the healing process doesn't come overnight. It's a process. But you have to hurt. Hurting is part of the healing. And you got to be willing to, because think about it, is you're going to hurt either way. You're going to hurt if you keep quiet. Yeah. And you're going to hurt if you expose it. Yeah. So at least when you expose it, you're on the road to recovery. Exactly. And if you don't expose it, then you're just constantly living, hurting inside, suffering inside. And so getting it out is the first step to the recovery. And then you have to go with the process. And they need to understand it's a process that I have to share it. I got to get it out. I need to, because it's for the healing. Even if like if you break a bone, you know, to fix your bone, they got to break it back in place. They have to snap it back in place. It's going to hurt for it to do it, but they had to snap it back in place and then bandage it up so that the healing process can start occurring. And so, yeah, people just got to be able to just come understand and see that if I don't share it, if I do not share it, you know, and 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 what can be? Let me let me can I say something on this here? Yeah. I met a lady that um she she was a friend of mine, and she shared to me that she had was molested by her mother's boyfriend and her and his friends for like a few years when she was a kid. And uh, she was sharing it with her mother. And I just so happened to be over the day she was sharing it with her. She started crying and guess what happened? When she started sharing it with her mother, her mother started talking back with her and they had similar stories. So my fear is if you don't tell it, somebody next to you who you love dearly yeah. can be going through the same thing. Exactly. And if you don't have the courage to speak up, then your child might have to suffer like you suffer. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Your loved ones might be suffering. And so that's why you got to understand that I got to tell it because I wouldn't want my children. Like, like I told you, when I looked at my son that's four years old, I know what type of mental anguish I dealt with my entire life. Yeah. You know, not being able to go nowhere. I wouldn't want nobody to have to deal with that. And since I had to live through that already, I don't want anyone else to have to go through that, especially someone like my child. 
So I need to speak up because a lot of times if you don't, that it hangs around and it lingers and it stays around in families and it stays around and it be going down and it be happening generation after generation. People are getting violated and people are remaining quiet. And the person that's doing the violator is walking away free because everybody want to be hush hush. No, I don't, you know, you got to be willing. And even if it's family, one of the things I saw as family is you, want, you don't want people to think that your family you know, negatively about your family. Yeah. But listen, it ain't for me to thank you, but I got to tell the truth. Not to hurt them or to shame them, but it's hurting me. Yeah. And if I don't get it out of side of me, uh, it's going to be too detrimental. It's just just too much pain for me to try to bear by myself. Great. Great. Let me just check this in, that we're going to be having a part two of this um, recording. So, if you have a chance to watch the part one, that you follow up and watch the part two, where you'll be able to hear the whole story being told of this uh, whole story. So let's move on. At what age did you drop out of school? And what happened? What led to that? So um, we moved, my mother and I, we moved to a different state. Um, my, father was a, my father was a drug addict. Uh, my father was very abusive. Uh, he would jump on my mother at times. He would jump on her. He would, you know, he was more, he would spank us, but he was more, I think he kind of, he was kind of more physically abusive to my older brother. With me, he was more verbally and, and mentally abusive, you know, and so they separated before they divorced. They separated and eventually divorced and we moved to a different state. Okay. We moved from the South to the North. Right. And when we came to the North, I was 14. And um, like I said, I had already started drinking. I was already smoking and doing different things. And I had already been affiliated with gang life. And so um, I started being in the gangs. And I think when I dropped out, when I officially dropped out of school, I was 16. 16. I was 16 years old. I had dropped out of school and, 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 um, and it's crazy because, like I say, it was just like things just started start moving fast. You know, I started getting out. I started wanting to hang in the street, went around with older guys, start getting in the street life. Uh, like I said, selling. First, first of all, it just started off using the drugs. And then my mother was, we didn't have much. We, was, we just grew up kind of poor. You know, we didn't have much money growing up. She didn't, uh, she wasn't allowed to give me the finer things. And, um, you know, we we basically just had the basics, you know, but as a kid, you want more. As a child, you want more. You see the people around you with the name brand clothes and things of that nature. And, you know, we wasn't, you know, I didn't wear name brand. You know, I remember going to bed at night when we barely even had food to eat. You know, I remember waiting to, you know, can't wait to get to school in the morning to even eat, you know, to have a meal to eat, you know. And so, like I said, I started being in the streets, and then I, like I said, by the time I got into gangs, and then it led me to selling drugs. So um, I started selling, and it was like a snowball effect. So at 16, I dropped out of school. I officially dropped out of school, and just got caught up in the whole criminal lifestyle at the age of 16. And it was one thing, and left out another. I started losing friends that was getting murdered in the streets. Um, it, it just it just was it was a lot of violence. It was wow. a, a lot of violence surrounding where I was at. But yeah, 16. I was 16 years old when uh I dropped out of high school. So 
Great. So this um, then led you to going to prison at age 23. Is that right? 23. Yes. So and you, you were charged for murder? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. What, what really happened? Can you tell us the story of what happened? How, okay. how this, yeah. So I had a cousin um, that got in cost, my, my, my older cousin had got locked up. He was in a car accident. All I knew he was in a car accident and he was incarcerated right. for uh, being, his, uh, he was accused of shooting uh, an occupied dwelling. Oh. Him oh. and another guy had got arrested. He was in a high speed chase. Um, they um, crashed the car and they caught him basically on the scene, him and someone else. And uh, about a couple of weeks, you know, they were saying, you know, we knew he was locked up for that a couple of weeks later. So during that time, they said actually earlier that day, they said a murder occurred at the same residence okay. that, was, that was, was shot up the second time, okay. a second time. And so... Um, about two weeks, three weeks or something prior, I can't remember the time frame. Um, my mother had called me, I think the day before, and said, you know, they charged him with murder. I said, oh, wow, for real? And she said, yeah, they said, I said, you know, I ain't think nobody, but they said the earlier account that they had charged him for murder. And so then, um, this was on a Friday. That Saturday, um, I, I went to where I was working third shift. So I went in to work third shift. And when I got off of work, you no, know, while I was at work, my mother called me and told me someone called her and told her that my picture was in the paper in the most they had on Crime Stoppers, most wanted. So they had a photo of me in the paper wanted for murder. And I'm like, what? So um, I got off of work. When I got off of work, she had already called a lawyer. We went to um, talk to the police to see, I'm just going in for questioning. What, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Well, when I got up in there, the lady told me, you basically are the one. They said that you um, shot this individual down in uh, cold blood and murdered him. And I'm like, what? And so uh, I fought the case because it was a lie. It was nothing but a lie. I fought the case, and 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 it's so crazy how it went down. I, when I when I went to trial, because I went to trial twice for it, I had two hung juries. Um, and so in the first before I went to the first trial, I took a lie detector test. Okay. The lie detector test said, um, I don't, well, if you know how a lie detector test is, if you fail anything, you fail yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So I did not pass the lie detector test. Okay. But when they asked me the question, did I commit the crime? And I said, no, the lie detector told them that I was telling the truth. Okay. When they asked me if I knew who committed the crime, I told them no. And the lie detector told them I was telling a lie. And so therefore they said I did, you know, did the crime. Yeah. But my thing was like I told them, y'all knew and the police knew. They knew, they knew, they knew I did not commit the murder. But since they 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 won't, they feel like, well, you didn't want it. Since the lie detector come back and said, you must know or have some idea on who may have done it. And since you won't give us the information that we want to know who done it, then guess what? You know, We're gonna keep these charges on you. 
And so I ended up going to trial once, well, twice, two hung juries. And then on the third time, I was supposed to go back to trial. And uh, I had a paid attorney, and my paid attorney uh, turned turned on me. A paid attorney turned on me. And uh, I didn't even want, and I ended up taking a, taking a plea deal. But I didn't want to take a plea deal because I said, I don't want to plead out to this crime knowing I didn't commit it. So he said, dude, you was, I was looking at life. I was looking at life in prison. In prison. I was looking at life, at a natural natural life, never to come home again. I was looking at natural life in prison. And he said, dude, listen, man, um, they're often two and a half years. And I had already been locked up for two years. He said, uh, fighting the case. I was locked up in, in fighting the case for two years. He said, you go through six months and you be back home. And that's, that's, that's a whole other story in itself because that's the system. And I'm thinking, well, I am tired. I didn't do it, but I am tired. But I and also I was in fear because my cousin, who y'all, who they had arrested, who they said was my co-defendant, yeah, he went to trial, was found guilty, and he was sentenced to 56 years to 90 years. So I thought I went to trial twice. I'm like, okay, y'all playing. What is going on? It was and, and, it's, and it's, it was so much that went up. It was so much discrepancy in the case. It's, it's